Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. Hey, loyal listeners. I'll be hosting this episode myself. I've been involved in software development for more than 25 years. I've started companies, led companies, and worked for companies, doing many different things. I'm honored to be considered a leader in Alberta's innovation ecosystem, and I give back as much and as often as I can. When I'm not working or podcasting, you'll find me pursuing my passions of photography, crypto investing, and woodworking, along with the occasional round of golf. What the heck is Web3? Join my fascinating guests, Sid Sharma and I, as we unpack Web3 and the metaverse. Let's get to it. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast for Rainforest Alberta. Today, my guest is a good friend called Sid Sharma. He's in the Web3 world. He's one of the leaders in that area. He's got a company called Rehuman and another, I guess, side company called Reuniverse, which we're going to talk about in depth. But first, Hey, Sid, thanks for joining me today. Hey, Al, thank you. <laughs> so Sid's a fascinating guy, and I'll tell you a little anecdote, I guess. We met through Lee Ackerman from, oh, well, he was originally with Sate, and now he's with Tech Systems, is it? Yeah, Tech Systems. Anyway, so I, I, never, I never really knew who Sid was for, for quite some time. I just kind of, oh, this guy's great. He's, you know, he's fun to talk to. We, we kind of hit it off really quickly when we first met, and we... Did a bunch of stuff together with with Lee and we're, you know, doing some Web3 stuff and blockchain discussions and all the stuff. And then one day I thought, oh, I got to I got to reach out to Sid. So I was I was looking on my LinkedIn and I realized we weren't even connected. And so I I connected with Sid. and I'm like, I can't believe we haven't connected on LinkedIn yet. And then I looked through his LinkedIn and I'm like, holy crap, this guy's a baller in the industry. Like, look at all this. Like he travels all over the world speaking at conferences and he's I'm, I'm like, whoa, I didn't realize. So it's, it's kind of a, that was my fun kind of little anecdote. But Sid, I mean, you're an amazing guy. I'd love to kind of find out a little bit more about kind of where you started. Like, you know, where did you come from? How did you get involved in Web3 originally? And what were you doing before that? You know, little bit on the career path kind of thing, and then we'll take it from there. So can you give us a little background on Sid? Absolutely. And first of all, thank you. That was very kind of you. <laughs> I'm just a simple guy, just doing simple stuff, but very, very, thank you. I really appreciate it. So my background is engineering and because that, that's what I started in. And then I found engineering to be like computer science to be boring because in your first and second year, like, I mean, you have engineering background too, right? So, it, it, you, so you can probably attest, like, I mean, your first few years, like first two, three years, you are learning about more, mostly about mathematics, especially back in those days, like, I mean, 2000 something. So I found it boring and I switched my major to finance. So, but I still stayed into it. So I wanted to build things. So now as you're going to see you, I have this duality, like I can build things, but I also know from an end user's perspective, because I guess my brain works in both ways. So I continued with the whole engineering side and every single job I have done since graduation. So I moved to Calgary from Toronto back in 2008. And 
it was a difficult time because like we were going through a recession and I graduated in finance and things were rough. So I, I couldn't really do much in finance. So I got a job at TELUS and they realized that this guy is good with systems and technology. So since then I worked for like, I mean, all the publicly traded companies here. Like I think I worked for three or four companies since. I've always been that systems person, right? Like, for example, like if, if there's system implementation, ERP systems, or a, anything to do with project management. So basically my background, I would say, is engineering and business from education, from experience perspective, I would say compliance, security, and systems, I would say project management. That, that, that's something that's been really important to me. And then my transition to Web3 was, I would say, 2016 or 2015. In 2016, I heard about Bitcoin and I was like, man, I think I can be rich. And, and honestly, you will see, I'm very candid. Like, I mean, they, they, honestly, if someone says they got into Web3 or crypto to change the world, like, I think uh, maybe, but I mean, your first thing was, holy, like there's an opportunity, right? So I saw that opportunity, got involved in Web3. I just didn't know where to even start. So I was just reading back in those days, like I think blockchain.com or whatever that wallet company is, they had some Satoshi Nakamoto's papers and stuff, whatnot. Like, and from there, I followed these guys like Vitalik and all these guys when they were in Toronto doing all, all the stuff they were doing. And I was like, this is super interesting. And a lot of things were going above my head. And that's when I doubled down into my programming. So I was like, okay, this is what they're talking. So, and that's when I, once you get to know, okay, this is what these guys are talking about. Opportunities are massive. And at the time I was working for Atco and I don't even know how, how I was able to do this. So I was actually leading their global team. So for Canada, United States, Australia, and Europe, right? So, and they had this massive project implementing this Oracle cloud. And I was leading the system from the identity access management side. So, and I was like, man, this is so stressful. And even I think the C CEO and the chief C-suite was involved massively in this. So it was a big project, but at the same time, you, you know, this is your job and this is the stuff that you love. So I will come home and I, I will just kind of like, so basically my wife used to be like, dude, like, do they give you so much work? I was like, no, 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 no. So from like seven o'clock or eight o'clock after dinner, like, I mean, till like 12 or one, I'm doing all this Web3 stuff. Basically, I'm just learning about this. And I ended up investing in some companies. I also, I, like, I'm a small time investor, I would say, when I say, so I invested in some oil companies. So I'm not kind of like that you have to be in tech. Alberta has been really, really tech great to me. And honestly, I like to give back. So some oil, what you call oil and gas companies, prior to they went public, I, I was able to invest in them and what you call your some crypto companies. And since then I was like, I left my job in 2018, 2019, and then Rehuman came about from some of the proceeds and I just put into Rehuman and yeah, here we are. Like, I, I don't know how many years it's been like since 2019, I guess. So, so Rehuman wasn't, you didn't start Rehuman, you joined it after and invested in it then, is that correct? No, I, I, I'm the founder of Rehuman. So I invested in other co companies. So I had, yeah. So once other companies, some, some companies you do good, some companies you do bad, some companies you invested because you were optimist 
think about the founder and their idea and they just ended up buying themselves Range Rovers and your money went to shit. So I was like, you know what? Oh man, I was so salty about some of the things, but some of the companies were so good. So Rehuman became kind of like my brainchild. And since 2016, our thing was, can we create something that provides people freedom, access, and opportunity, right? And as we will go further into what we are building, you will see those are the foundations because I moved to this country, I'm an immigrant, and I moved to this country as a teenager. And when I moved to this country as a teenager, back then, like this was many, many years ago, I'm in my mid-30s now. So back then, things were like not as simplified. So when I moved to Calgary, even after graduation and all, just to find job and just to find what you call housing was actually difficult. Housing was, I wouldn't say job was difficult as much because it was recession, but housing and my heart goes out to a lot of people who might be homeless because this is like, I think the first time I'll say on a public platform that I was one or two days away from being homeless because I couldn't find housing here. I was staying with friend of mine, his lease was coming to be done. You go to places and basically they want so much information about you or they won't even do background checks on you. They just look at you and just because you don't look like the usual demographics, you don't get the same opportunity, right? So, and then kudos to this one individual. He, he rejected me first and I pleaded to him. I was like, sir, like I have a job. I'm an educated guy. Like, I mean, I don't want to be going to the shelter. So he's like, okay, I'm counting on you, man. Don't. And I understand. So that was actually something that stayed in my head. And I was like, holy, like, I mean, I could have been homeless. And now every single thing we are doing is we are doing it. So people don't have to, when they move cities, when they move countries, when they go anywhere in the world, they don't have that, that I don't trust you. Right. So now you can prove who you are and get access to these things readily as opposed to somebody just looking at your face and for whatever reasons, like you, you don't get that opportunity or you don't get the housing, some, some, some of the basic necessities. So that's what we call it. Rehuman is about redefining human identity for the digital economy, because just imagine if you are in sixties or seventies and you don't have, let's say a driver's license or a passport or any, any kind of documentation, just imagine how things will become difficult now. We are moving into this digital economy and a lot of people are being left behind, right? Because they don't have those digital credentials or they can't prove who they are. And they move from one country to another country. They don't know. Like so many people move to this country and they are educated doctors and physicians and stuff. And we have shortage of those people, but they drive cabs. So somebody is failing them, right? So that's where I was like, I was like, you know what? I'm a conscious capitalist and let's find a way to bridge this gap. It's not going to be easy easy road. But I think so far, many people have supported me and I'm thankful to governments, organizations, investors, and community who, who support me in what I do. So that's awesome. What a great story. And you know what? That's a great segue. You know, based on what you said, I think people could get the general idea of what Rehuman is all about. But can we talk a little bit in a little bit more detail? Because one thing that I still hear today, and you probably hear quite a bit too, is the adoption of blockchain technologies and stuff like that is is happening but there's still a lot of people that are just not interested complicated you know scammy you know whatever they they don't know enough about it and they just dismiss it immediately and don't want to have anything to do with it 
But what I see, and, I, and you'll probably agree with me, is that is that it's coming. <laughs> you, it's kind of like debit cards in banking, right? A lot of people, especially in the older generation, just didn't want to have anything to do with it because it was like complicated. You had to deal with the machine. They'd rather just go up to the teller and tell him or her what they want. And and then nowadays, everybody like my my dad was before he passed away. He was in in his late eighties, but he even used a bank card and went to the bank machine and paid for things at the store with his bank card. And I never would have thought that would ever happen with my dad because he he couldn't even set a clock or you know the most basic technology. Just he didn't want to have anything to do with. He was completely closed minded. But the bank cards, they, they just became so prevalent and it just became something you just had to deal with. And I have a feeling, uh, a fairly solid, strong feeling that Web3 and, and these technologies are going to be very quickly getting to that point where if you're not on board, you're going to be in, in a really bad place. And so I'd love to hear your opinions on that because you're way more out in the Web3 community all over the world than I am. But I'd love to hear some of the things that you've heard and, and what your opinion is on that topic. I think you're absolutely right that this is something almost as inevitable as cloud computing. Talking about my last employer, Atco, they are a $20 billion company. But in 2018 or 2019, they finally started to transition into cloud. They were using every single thing on-prem. So it's a $20 billion company. The thing is, adoption always starts with some early innovators and early adopters are not necessarily caring about whether this thing works or not. They just want to do it. Some people, they bought one of the first iPhones, right? Like, and when iPhone, everyone was laughing at Steve Jobs. What's wrong with this guy? Palm didn't work. What, what, makes him think like that something like iPhone, such an expensive device will work. And it was not perfect. It had its own issues. So I've always tell people that technologies get adopted by early adopters, but early adopters is like only two or 3% of the people. But the late majority only adopts things when user experience has been simplified. And right now, user experience sucks in Web3. Thing that we, we are doing, I'm, I would say Rehuman is one of the few first companies that started in this identity space. And since I have started, some of the banks here, some of the other companies, they have actually talked to me and they have built solutions, right? But their user experience sucks. And right from the beginning, I told you, right? Like I, on one side, like I'm a creator and a developer, but this side, I'm also an end user. And my end goal was like, if my mom or dad can't use this, technology. We should give this to companies that have money to do pilots, but for the end consumer, it's not. And it's not about who comes first. It's about right implementation. And I think that that's where the adoption sucks. And obviously explaining to education is a big deal, right? So what we told to our company right now, we have grown to now 15 people. And I tell everybody, I was like, don't worry about it. As long as we keep one thing in mind, our parents or older generations or people who are not into technology, they should be able to use it. And the day we click that, and honestly, we have made so much changes. And as we go into the technology, the things that we are putting in, they're next level. In 2020, I was already two years ahead of my competition, right? So I stay quiet. I keep building these things and I bring right people on. 
and we, we just keep pushing it. And I think user experience is the hardest thing, especially when you're trying to compete with security and user experience. That's the toughest thing even till this day. So one of the most secure, what you call systems to use is like you, you can use Linux and nobody will tr track you. Ubuntu or what you call Tails OS or any kind of Linux based OS, like a lot of people don't use it because user experience is not as intuitive, right? And I think every single person who's building it, they need to think from the end user perspective. And sad, sad thing is right now, this industry still has mostly developers in it. There are not that many people thinking from that UX perspective, right? Human design perspective. And then there's People who create organizations and consortiums, they always talk about high level things. They don't really do anything to simplify it. Right. And I understand every single thing. Like I told you beginning of this podcast that every single person is driven by monetary gains or financial incentive one way or another. And I understand what's in for them. But I think it comes a point where when we start our careers, right, we want to make the most money. Once you have hit that threshold of making certain amount of money, you go into uh, it's called your basic needs are meet. Now you're in self-actualization mode. You're like, what can I do for others? Right? So nobody starts out being just a, you know, I'm going to change the world. Eventually, once every single thing is done, now you are going into a moment of changing the world. And I think right now being in this space for this long and meeting all my personal goals and all those goals. Now I'm actually in a space where I was like, can we do this? Can we do this? Can we do this? And even you and I spoke multiple times and I said that, I'm still waiting for one organization or some kind of group that will help companies build solutions and not care about political side of things, right? Political side is, and people say, oh, it's about regulation. Think of it this way. And I've always found this to be an oxymoron. And I have friends in government and sometimes they like me, sometimes they hate me. But I, I, I tell them honest thing. If nobody was using credit cards, how can you build regulations to regulate credit cards? If nobody was actually using e-banking or e-commerce, how can you have regulations to... And, and this, is, this is the thing, people talk high level. We have these conferences here. I have spoken at two conferences here in Alberta because I love this province. I love this city it has given me so much, but I think we are still stuck now i think we had changed like because if you really think about the pioneers who created alberta to what alberta is calgary what calgary is those individuals were pioneers they actually jumped onto an opportunity to get this oil out of the sand and in process we ended up creating an industry which is i think in my opinion by far the cleanest oil on this planet i have traveled uh, africa uh, all the producers, like I don't want to name anybody, but the thing is, and I have been involved in this industry, right? Personally, because I've worked for companies and I have traveled to up north. And honestly, we, we need to think from those pioneers perspective. If we really want Alberta to be next level, we have to go back to our roots of being pioneers and taking a little bit risk as opposed to thinking we have to be political, this, political, that. And sometimes you, you just have to do it. I don't talk as much. When I want to do something, I go and do it. Like in 2019 or 2020, I think, 2019, I thought there was an ecosystem that was missing. I brought Founders Institute to Calgary, built a team of 100 plus people, which included investors, influencers, mentors. And I did that all by myself initially. 
right? And then I was like, it was heavy lifting while I was also doing rehuman. And people asked me, they're like, dude, how are you doing it? And eventually, like, I mean, we had some differences on inclusivity and other things. And I, I, I just parted ways. My thing is just go do it. Don't seek permission. Just go do it. And because I don't like to get caught up in that whole political situation, I was like, okay, you're not going to do it. I'll just go do it. Right. My other thing could have been, I could have gone to Calgary economic development or somebody, Hey, why don't you do something? And you know what? Once I got everything going, platform Calgary helped me, CED helped me. And now they all know me because I was that one young kid. They're like, holy shit, he's just going, going, going. And they, one time it's like, like one of those Godfather movies when I was doing four or five organizations, they are the leaders. Nobody, I think somebody from Rainforest was also there. I forgot who. They got me on a call. They're like, what are you trying to do? Do we need more organizations? And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm not trying to compete with anyone. All of us need more, more, more things and we have to work together, right? And I was like, we, we will find ways, right? If let's say tomorrow you and I create another association here, that's not to compete with anyone or anything. I think more things bring more value and it keeps everybody honest. And that's true capitalism. Competition is never bad. So I think just go do things, don't get political. And I think only way blockchain and Web3 technologies will take off is let's focus on user experience. And second thing is let's go build solutions instead of hindering it, stopping it. Right now, if let's say a kid comes to you and pitches you an idea and we started poking holes at it, that person might just, just be discouraged and they may go. And that's basically, I'm talking about Vitalik Buterin's story. Bitcoin Foundation at the time, they poked holes. How are you going to do this? How They underestimated the kid. Look what he created since. So sometimes you just have to just go do it. And if nobody comes with you, end of the day, you are happy that you were the first one to do something, right? Or so I think, I think just we, we have to be a province of or city or country of people who want to do things and permissions and all those things. We, we live in a free society, man. I think we should, we should just go do it. And regulations, regul yeah, regulators will talk to you and then they will say, oh, this is where you messed up. We are like, okay, sorry, right? Because there has to be enough mass adoption for people. And I, I'm with regulators, but sometimes they just, they just hinder innovation. So I think innovators will go create. And once there's enough adoption, regulators will create regulations. And that, that's how it's been since the beginning of time. You don't create regulations for something, something nobody wants. <laughs> yeah. And that, and that makes perfect sense because the regulators, their specialty is regulation, not technology or, or not innovation, right? It's, it's, they're always going to be coming from behind. It, there's just no way around it. You know, you can't have the innovators coming up with the ideas and then passing them off and saying, here, you're now allowed to do this. Like that's just never, it's never even a feasible idea. So regulations have to follow. And when you look at the big companies like Google and Facebook and Amazon and all that, they just, they just went and got as big as they got because it was a good idea and they need, and it was a needed thing at the time. And then the regulators came in afterwards and said, oh, you can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. And then they had to make changes and adopt. And you look at the EU where they've got more regulations than anybody else about, about restricting what you can and cannot do with personal information, and all that. 
I, I, I think that's great. I think it's great that there's, there is somebody doing that, but that couldn't have came ahead of all the technology that had to come after when we realized what all the issues are. It's very inspirational to hear that you just kind of go, this needs to happen and you just go and do it. And w- sorry, I missed the, the group that you were talking about that you started. What was it called? So it's, we brought Founders Institute from Silicon Valley to Alberta. And right now, and then I parted ways from them in 2020 something. So let's just recap. What, what Rehuman does is it's using secure blockchain technology to manage people's identity so that you can have one identity that covers you and everything about you anywhere in the world and you don't have to have a thing like a passport or something like that so maybe just clarify that just a little bit am i on track there you are almost so in simple terms rehuman is providing the interface or a wallet similar to apple wallet which is available on all the devices where you so we we don't manage your identity so we we are simply like a pipeline and you manage your own identity on your own devices right? So what basically we are saying is we are simply building a bridge between the virtual world and the real world. So your real identity can actually go into the virtual world and you should be free to do whatever you want to do, right? So if you want to rent a house, so since we started rent a house, a lot of landlords don't have the infrastructure to do background checks on you, to confirm with your employer and all that. What if you have all these documents on your device, just like Apple Wallet, and you can share them and you can redact the information like about your pay, this, this, this. So it's called user-owned identity. And we, we are controlling the narrative we are telling the world as opposed to people collecting our information. So if I were to actually go and rent a place, they will actually take information from me. I were to go get a job, they will take so much information from me. I need this. They will take more information from me. I need a car. So it's like my personal information is now in 10 different places. And from a cybersecurity perspective, it's very easy to hack one place with million documents, then million devices with one document each. That's it. So that's what we call it distributed. So we are not managing anyone's. We are empowering people to manage their own identity. And some of the pilots, we have done even pilot with United Nations. And my dad, he's from Africa. So my dad lives in Africa. So we opened a company now in Africa as well. And that's where I met some of the people in United Nations. And they brought us in to do a huge project by chance. And I, I was shocked to find out that women and kids around the world are the most disadvantaged when it comes to identity and access. I didn't know this. So this was in 2021 or 2020, I think it was height of COVID. And I was like, holy, that that was a revelation to me, right? When we were doing, I was more so thinking from a North America perspective, I was like, hey, this was my problem. Now can I go and solve? Uh, And then we saw it was a global problem. And I think more and more as we go into the virtual world, this identity connecting real you to the virtual you But at the same time, we don't want every single thing that you have in real life to be available on the virtual place, right? Wouldn't it be nice if Twitter today knows that I'm a real human being, but I don't have to use my real name because I don't want random people or somebody to track me 
or to find what I'm doing, right? Some people want to share information, they can. Again, what is about opportunities and possibilities? If somebody wants to be on TikTok or Twitter or Instagram and share their location, all power to them. But we should also give an option to people who don't want to. My co-founder, she, she doesn't have LinkedIn. And I told Asli, dude, you're my co-founder. I was like, you can't live under the rock, right? And she, she's a controller of a publicly traded company. She's like, dude, I don't want LinkedIn. I'm totally fine. I was like, all right. So I, I thought about that. I was like, some people, they just don't want to be known. And that's totally fine. And that's where Europe is doing good, but their execution was bad. GDPR is the right to be forgotten. And you have a right what you share. But it shouldn't be just clicking, I accept all the cookies. What does that really mean, right? So they just have this basic banner. It's kind of like saying Canada, again, I'm going a little bit on a tangent. You can stop me. We care about our recycling. And, and I'm not a political person, so I stay quiet about these things. Recycling, green, and all that stuff is cool. But recently, I came across this whole segment that was done by Fifth State. And they found out that we ship so much of our recycle, like basically stuff that's supposed to be recycled, like plastics to developing countries and our government knows about it. Our federal government knows about it and they had opportunity to put a ban on it. Like Australia did, Europe did, other countries did. We never really put a ban on it. And I'm like, is it okay? And all that plastic is going and kids, and you should, I'll share the link with you. And that documentary, kids who are like 11 or 12 in countries like Indonesia, Malaysia, India, they're saying you're ruining our air quality because plastics are being burned. So again, it, it's not my domain, but these kind of things, they, I'm like, why can't we just take ownership of things and just find a way? A a anyways, anyways, I, I totally went on a totally different tangent, but th th these are, these are things like, I mean, just, just do, do things where people have options. And I think if someone wants to send stuff there, go send stuff wherever you want to, but some people, they just want to do things, allow them to stay anonymous privacy, but don't stop them. That's why I said freedom comes with access and opportunities. So somebody doesn't want to like today, if let's say your dad or my dad don't want to use bank cards. Cash was not stopped. They, they can still go and use cash, right? So it's about having all options available, not blocking one versus another one, right? You, if you have to make something like a compulsion or you have to force people to do something, that means you're not a good leader because you're forcing somebody, whether it's wearing mask or not wearing mask, I, I don't care all that. You should not force somebody to do something. That means you failed as a leader to get people behind you let me see if I can just simplify this slightly. The, the general concept is everybody who deals in finance and deals with governments and, and the reason why passports and driver's license and all that stuff exists is to validate that somebody of authority has determined beyond the shadow of a doubt that you are who you say you are, right? Like it's, the, it's that whole know your customer or, or know your client. So what you're, what you're essentially trying to do is you're trying to say this rehuman technology will verify that this person is who they say they are, but you don't need all the other information that actually proves that. You just need the verification that they are who they say they are. So you can keep that anonymity because something that everybody trusts because of the security and the quality of the technology 
everybody trusts that thing is saying, this person is real, I guarantee it. And so who they are, what their bank account holds and what kind of car they drive and all the other information about that person is none of your business. You just need to say, I verified that this person is a real human being, that something validates that they are that and everything else doesn't matter. Whereas right now, if you go to a bank and you want to open a bank account, they have to find out name, address, phone number, employer name, employer salary, all this other stuff that they need to do literally just to prove that you are who you say you are. And then once they do that, the bank becomes a, a little bit of an authority to say that, that you are who you say you are. So that's why when you, when you go to connect to the CRA online, you can actually connect through your banking software because the bank knows who you are. So if you can get in through your bank software, then the government's going, oh, okay, I'm okay with saying that that's who it is. And so am I, am I on the right track? You are absolutely on the right track. Yeah. So in this case, we are not the only authority because end of the day, we can't be the government. We can't issue passports, right? But we are the validation layer. So, when, for example, when you're logging through CRA using your bank, that's called identity access management. So bank is verifying that this is Al's computer, so you know. Right? But the problem is they have to store your passwords. They have to store all the information. What we are saying is you can still have KYC because I know by legal requirements, bank need to store some information, but banks don't need my dad's name, my daughter's name. Banks don't need so much extra information that they keep. Banks keep all that information because banks need to sell their banking products to us. And I'm, I'm totally fine. Sell me whatever you want, but ask me. Ask me, right? That's all we are saying. So right now, if let's say government issued you a passport and I take my passport and I come to you for a job and you want to do a background check or you want to see if I'm a citizen or not for whatever reasons, I don't know. You will just look at the passport or if, let's say, yesterday I bought Mac computer, right? Mac Studio. I paid for it online. They saw my ID and they gave me what I paid for. Now think of it. It's a human error. It could be anybody, right? So we are removing the human error. And in that case, you go there and all that person has to do is scan the QR code, right? And that QR code will say this person is real. This ID card is real. And that's all we are doing. So in that case, what happens is bank, we don't have to call the bank or we don't have to call even the bank API because all this information is on the blockchain. Blockchain is kind of like, a we, we know it's like a ledger, but most people mistake this, that all this personal information is not being stored on the blockchain, it's being stored on your device. We call it edge computing. While it's on your device, but the proof that this device, just like bank, CRA says, hey, is Al real? Your bank, Bank of Montreal says, yeah, this is Al's computer because Al has logged in 50 times or whatever. Um, this is their MAC address, IP address based on that. Those are our identifiers. Those are also the places we can get hacked from, right? So we are saying, instead of saying this is our IP, this is our this, this is our this, what if there was a provable record which says you scan my what you call QR code and you suddenly get the, oh, successful. This information is encrypted. If you want this to be revealed, ask the user and you have to allow it. But the card that's being shared with you, it's real in simple terms. So that's why we are even trying to stay away from now saying it's a blockchain based solutions because that confuses people. So we are like, hey, 
It's a simple solution where you can share whatever you want to and what you don't want to, whereas right now you don't have that option. The moment you connect your Google login with any service that's out there, that other third party has access to your, it clearly says if they have access to your emails, they have access to your messages, your Google Drive, and your contacts. And most people, they use Google login. So the closest company that came to what we are doing is actually Apple by spoofing or changing hide my email address. So each account that you open is a separate account. But here is the problem. Apple still knows all the information about you. And even though I love Apple devices, the photos and every single thing Apple can go through using your Apple ID, they can go through their algorithms can go and scan your phone. They do right now for other purposes, right? So we are just saying users should be able to keep their information just like you you keep your what you call driver's license in your pocket or in your wallet you don't have to give it to me to safeguard it right people can take care of it and people who do need that safeguarding continue using google right but i'm just giving people the second option where you can actually work here you have your working records you can connect to the bank so a lot of banks are creating their own solutions so we are connecting with them so end of the day for us is blockchain is all about interoperability not just one uh, blockchain stopping there. So right now, few banks have built their own solution. Our solution is being used by insurance companies. Insurance companies are connected to banks for KYC. So we have a KYC solution built into it. So it's like you don't have to use us, but the cool thing is if you use our technology and you use XYZ companies' technology, hopefully they are building from interoperability perspective. We can all communicate and we can all verify without sharing people's information. Okay, so I'm going to pivot and onto a little bit more fun topic. Not that that your security is not fun, it totally is. But I want to talk about the metaverse because this is one of the things that I get a little bit nerdy on. So your company, your I guess it's your other company or maybe a division of Rehuman, but you're calling it Reuniverse and you're building your own metaverse. But instead of, you know, clunky, simple, blocky graphics, you're actually doing what it was the Unreal Engine or something. And you're building like, like a, a very immersive, it's almost like being inside of a, of a very high end video game. Can you talk a little bit about where that came about and what, where you're at with that? Absolutely. So ReUniverse is a second product. So ReHuman ID is product number one. ReUniverse is the second product within Re, ReHuman. And it's just an extension because as we were thinking more about where we see this being used, we realized that if we were to go into virtual worlds, like for example, VR chat is one of the places where things can go. Like you could be a 10 year old and you could be talking to a 50, 60 year old person or 40 year old person and things can get weird. Like, I mean, they will ask you stupid sex questions and all that stuff. So I was like, how do we say, like, you don't want to close the door on anybody, but how, how do we actually know who's who? So basically we extended our rehuman ID into the re-universe and we are like, hey, wouldn't it be nice if you can get authenticated at the time of logging what you should and shouldn't see, right? It's kind of like a simple example I give is like, for example, walking into a downtown and there's strip clubs, casinos, and bars. Let's say somebody who's underage, they're walking, they can see that this is a bar. They can see from outside, this is a strip club. But in order for you to experience the experience, you have to go through a ID check, right? 
And that's what we are doing. So basically in our situation, once you log in as, as an individual and you are underage, you can see all this in the virtual world, but you just won't be able to go past those things because those are guarded off for people who are so they, you won't see a bouncer checking your ID or somebody, right? Because this is inherently built in. So we are, when we released our, what you call press release, it was, I think in June or July, we, we were the world's first metaverse project or a virtual world project that's actually thinking about the minors and our kids. Because I, I like, I'm huge on privacy and security, huge. Like, and I, I don't think it's a privilege. I think it's a hum, fundamental human right to protect what ours and what we want to share with whom, right? And also to protect our young ones because they don't know what they don't know. And especially metaverse is even more, right now there's explicit sites and areas where our kids can get access and they can just say, yeah, I'm over 18, I'm over 19. From a creator's perspective, you, you have to think about it. Have we done enough to protect our kids? Or should we say not much can be done? So. Again, I decided to go ahead and do it. I wanted to do this in 2021, December. Uh, I brought this to our board and they're like, dude, you're, you're not a game developer. Like, why, why the heck, heck would you go? I was like, trust me, but I think I can do it. So they're like, well, just focus on the ID part. I was like, sounds good. So I took one developer and me, both of us in our own time, we created this demo and we demoed that to them in February. And they were blown away by it. They're like, how did you do it? I was like, I swear to God, I didn't use any resources. It was just mostly me and some of the work was done by him. And they gave us green light because I explained that this is going to be such a big opportunity because we are creating a bridge with identity, connecting the real to the virtual world. Virtual world, we can't just leave it to Facebook or Meta or to other companies, right? And eventually what's going to happen is we are not creating a metaverse. So like the uh, only reason I say metaverse is there's no other way to explain it. We are creating one virtual experience that will connect to other virtual experiences. So metaverse is collection of this 3D internet where sites not going to be like this. They'll be more immersive. We are about seven to eight years away from it. And just like when internet was started, you initially have these forums and then you have these chat rooms and then eventually authentication became a thing that you have to authenticate who you are because initially everyone trusted each other, right? So authentication will become a thing and that's why we, we are kind of like on a bridge path to this is re-universe. In this, every single thing is authenticated. Then Meta will build theirs and they will say, you have to have Facebook ID to log in. We are saying, in order for you to log in into ReUniverse, you can use any of the digital identities, including Facebook or Google, right? But you won't be able to actually have the experiences, meaning if you want to sell something or buy something, or if you want to experience something, you have to authenticate who you are because we, we, we don't want to give wrong experiences to wrong people. And eventually, we're not going to be the only company that's going to be the stewards of this. So right now we are in talks with some governments. We are in talks with, we, no, we actually have customer defense department actually, and they are, they are there. So I want all of them to be stakeholders in this. So we are not the only ones who are saying you can and you cannot. So we are on a path of distribution and decentralization where multiple parties will be stakeholders in this re-universe and they can also keep check on us. 
kind of like having a council or a board, right? So, so, so they will have access to all, all what's happening. They will also run the nodes of this re-universe and they will see, okay, this is, this is what's happening. And God knows, we will eventually connect to other uh, experiences such as your Decentraland and other, other areas. And, and we'll go from there. And Decentraland, if you read the Decentraland's original white paper, their founders wanted to do this. They were missing that identity layer. So we were able to actually implement that. And I think that's super critical. Graphics, I, I, I care about user experience. I like graphics. So we took graphics to next level and we are like, hey, let's build using some of the best technologies. Since you and I spoke, now we have actual avatars that can actually communicate and they, that can talk and they're connected to your actual identity. So nobody has to know this is Al. You can look like a robot or anything else that you want, but the other person communicating with you, they will know two things. This person is authorized or they're over age to be in this place. And second, this person would not harm me or wouldn't take advantage of me because they are verified identity, right? It's kind of like you, you create instant trust as opposed to you trusting some unknown person on Twitter or somewhere else, whereas a verified account will be a different story, right? So here we are basically turning the verified accounts all across where you can trust who you're talking to. And if somebody logs into our, what you call virtual world with Google ID or something, Facebook or something, they just won't be verified because we don't know anyone can create those logins. And so can I ask where, where the metaverse is that you're building is at? Like, uh, are you uh, close to being able to invite people in to start using it? Or is that still a ways off? So it's not a ways off. So we decided initially we had a really ambitious plan that we, we will be launching at least two cities that will replicate the real cities. So first city that we wanted to launch was the New York. and then right now where we are is we, we will still launch New York, but we push the timeline from what you call your November 15th or November 30th to sometime in 2023. And only reason we push the timeline is because of the avatars like that we started building, right? So I wanted to link these two things together. And I'll, well, after this call, I'll show you every single thing that we have. So I got focused on developing that the avatars should work and the avatars that we are creating, they're not just avatars that you can use in re-universe. These are the avatars you can use in other platforms too. And now that was the hard thing for us to solve because our graphics are totally, so for example, we use C++ to get what we want, right? But what Sandbox and what, what you call Decentraland are using and how their avatars look, they're very different. They're very different because they're not using your GPU. They're mostly web browser based. That's why the fidelity of the graphics is significantly low. Can we transition into that? And that's something I've been kind of like super busy solving because nobody has done this so far, right? When you are one of the very few companies in the world doing something like this, um, and you have to stay quiet about it because you haven't figured out that, that stuff yet. So I was like, if I were to launch, the first thing people will say, Sid, your identity can work all across. Why, why, why can't your avatars work, right? So I was like, let's just make the avatars work all across. So you can take our avatars and you can actually log in into Decentraland tomorrow, right? And that's the coolest thing because here you look like certain way. You can take the same look there, but you will now fit the, what you call 
low fidelity of that environment. Yeah. So it kind of breaks down the quality of the image. It's still the same avatar, still looks kind of the same, but then it's more a little bit more blocky or a little bit more whatever. Yeah, is exactly, exactly. And that was a tough thing to do. That that was the hardest thing to do. And that took me more time. Like sometimes, you know, we think it's easier and then you don't have enough talent to do it. So in this case, I couldn't find somebody who will do it. So I like I became that person. So like, I just went underground. Like, I mean, literally for th- two or three months, I was like, we have to solve this because building the world wasn't the hardest part. The hardest part is the networking of every single thing. So from here, the user has to log in and the user should be able to use whatever they have. And then they could, should be able to experience that now your, your re-universe can actually connect to other virtual worlds. That's the networking piece that most companies are not thinking about. So that's why... All metaverse companies are virtual world experience companies and metaverse will be the connected virtual experiences. Just like one website is not internet, connection of all the websites is the internet. Wow, that's that's so fascinating. I really love what you're doing and I'm looking forward to seeing some of the stuff that that you're coming out with in the near future here. You just you're just a fascinating guy and it's just a pleasure chatting with you today, Sid. Thank you for joining me today. No, thank you. Thank you for, for this opportunity. And I'm looking forward to what you guys are doing. All right, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. Tuesday morning at 8 o'clock a.m., you'll get a new episode from us. And we're getting really, really close to episode 200 coming up here in a few weeks. And uh, that's exciting. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us. Cheers. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode was brought to you by New Idea Machine. We build great custom software while bridging the gap between education and experience. New Idea Machine makes your ideas real. Visit newideamachine.com for more info. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.